Maranai Church. This is another special message. Hope you're blessed. This morning I've decided to speak on the subject called leadership from below. And for this one we are going to read a Bible portion and that is found in Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 to 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Now, <clears throat> this passage is all about building foundations. And if we build good foundations, then when we face storms, then these foundations will stand through. We are told about these foundations, that foundations are not laid during the storms. Foundations, however, tested during the storms, and foundations are made with storms in mind. Some of you may recall in the year 2001, January 26th, uh, there was a early morning, 8.45, I think there was an earthquake uh, that, hit, that hit the Bhuj, Gujarat area. And that earthquake uh, demolished a lot of structures, a lot of houses. And eventually, I think something like 50,000 people died. And another 30,000 were missing. But during that time, they discovered that several buildings in the city of Gandhidam stood firm. They didn't fall. And the one who designed those buildings was one particular architect. And whichever building he had designed, that building did not fall. So the people who survived because they lived in those buildings, were overwhelmed and went to visit this architect. And as per the Indian custom, they went and touched his feet and kind of said, thank you so much, thank you so much, thank you so much. To which he said, um, you don't have to thank me for anything. I didn't do anything unusual. I just followed the textbook in designing these buildings. According to the place, that is Bhuj. Bhuj is uh, a level four earthquake prone area and according to level 4 earthquake prone area I needed to ensure that the structures were had taken into account the pillars and the cross beam were able to take on the vertical load as well as the horizontal as well as the horizontal jaws that it would face and I built it exactly according to textbook according to me he said every architect must take into account and build it according to textbook then no matter what the earthquake the buildings will stand firm. And so in his opinion, he just followed the right principles in laying the right foundation for the building as a result of which it survived the storm. Now in this case, the storm that say, it says the rains came down and the floods rose and the wind beat against that house. It was like a triple attack, a 3D attack and the building could not withstand it. And it describes that the firm foundation is equal to listening plus obedience equals firm foundation. Listening only and no obedience results in weak foundations. That is what he is he's, he's speaking about. Now to illustrate this storm uh, that hit, we're going to watch a video clip. In fact, you're going to watch three video clips one after another and we'll, we'll have some discussion in between the video clips. So this has been given by a man called uh, Rohit Deshpande. He is from Pune, but he is based in U.S. and he is a lecturer in the Howard Institute. And uh, he is going to uh, unpack or understand the terrorist attack that took place in 2008 in November in Mumbai. And so we'll just watch this. So watch this first clip for about six minutes. I think. I think I'm wrong. Just, just hold on. Just hold on. Just hold on. Sorry, I had to ask one question before we see the clip. So, uh, you know, if if you are in leadership, in wherever you are placed in whenever which are company or college or institute, in your college institute uh, or your company, you need to think of the right figures for uh, how much influence 
in terms of percentage, how much influence a leader has, influence, and how much percentage do the subordinates have? Is it 100% leaders have the influence and 0% the subordinates have? Is anybody from such company, institute, 100% influence only leaders have, 0% subordinates have? Or is it 80% leaders have, 20% subordinates have? Would you raise your hand in case you work for a company where leaders have about 80% influence and subordinates have 10? Please just, just let me have a look. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, thanks. All right. How many, in which company do you have 50% leadership and 50% subordinates? If you have in that company, just raise your hand. Well, we have some. And how many have leadership have only 20% influence, but subordinates have 80%? Any companies? So generally, I've noticed about 10 to 15 hands have gone up. And all those who did not raise hand, now you can raise your hands. <laughs> Anyway, let's watch this video clip now. Um, on the 26th of uh, November 2008, as you just heard, uh, a group of 10 terrorists attacked the city of Mumbai, what used to be called Bombay, in India. Uh, they broke up into teams to attack about a dozen different locations. One of those locations was the iconic, beautiful, 103-year-old Taj Mahal Palace Hotel in South Bombay. For three nights, two days, there was absolute havoc in that hotel. Guests were terrorized, people wounded, shot, killed. Um, group of uh, terrorists with automatic weapons, um, plastic explosives and grenades and backpacks roamed freely through this old hotel. Many of us, uh, many of you, witnessed or saw some of that coverage on television at, at, at home. Uh, let's take a closer look. The evening of November 26, 2008, was a typical busy Wednesday for the Taj. More than 500 guests were registered at the hotel. Another five to 600 were attending functions in banquet halls or sitting down to dinner in the hotel's 10 restaurants. Shortly after 9 p.m., an explosion rocked the Leopold Cafe just around the corner, less than 200 meters from the Taj. Two young men pulled out automatic weapons and began firing. Crowds at the Gateway of India and along the street in front of the Taj panicked, many rushing the doors of the hotel. In the ensuing chaos, two heavily armed terrorists circumvented the metal detectors and entered the lobby. They were soon joined by the two attackers from the Leopold, who broke through a back door. 9.35 or 9.40 was the first call I got from one of my chefs. And I think some shooting is taking place. A person has been shot dead outside my restaurant. Then we heard another gunshot, and I, said, I told him on the phone only, I said, just close all the kitchens, all the restaurant doors. They were banging the door. They were alerting everyone, come out, otherwise we'll shoot you. There were a few guests that who, you know, they were scared and they came out by putting their hands up, like, and they started hitting them, they started harassing them. It was horrible. The situation, the entire scenario was very scary. We couldn't uh, judge at that time ki what is exactly happening in the hotel. It was a literally pause situation. You can hear grenade lobbing around. You can hear the gunshot also. We did not know the scale of the attack. We did not know uh, what exactly was going on, where they were uh, at that moment. And there was total chaos. My colleagues were trapped with guests in various places asking me what, we, what should we do next. So picture what's happening um, inside that hotel. There are 
500 guests who were registered at that hotel this night of uh, 26th November. There are a, an addi additional 600 or so guests who are in various restaurants attending various banquets and functions. There are about 600 or so staff members on duty that night. Young people, many of them very young, 20, 30-year-old, some of them, had, the staff members had only been working for a few years at this hotel. Um, many of them um, fathers and mothers, uh, the sole breadwinners in their families with, with children at home waiting for them. One of the things, we don't know a lot about the detail uh, about what happened there, but one of the things we do know is that all 600 of these employees knew all the back routes. They, they knew the exits, they knew the entrances, they knew the hallways, and the kitchen galleys. In other words, they knew how to get out and how to get out fast. All the research we have in psychology would tell us that the natural human instinct at a time of terror like this is to flee. So think about it, what, what you would do. So when I teach this case study at Harvard, I ask my students, I say, how many of these employees do you think fled and how many of them do you think stayed? And they'll hazard guesses and, and the maximum they say that would stay would be maybe maybe a quarter, 150 or so, you know, but that's, that's the maximum. Everybody who can run away will run away. Well, the truth of the matter is that nobody ran away. They all stayed. In fact, some of them not only stayed, they helped guests out and came back in to help more guests. It's an amazing story. Okay, so that gives rise to a question, what percentage of staff stayed back to help? All. 600 staff members all stayed back uh, to help in whatever reason. Now, can you give me a guess? What do you think may be the reasons they stayed back? And we have a friend here with, uh, Satish is here with the microphone. And if you have anything, what do you think is the reason they might have stayed back? Having been in the hotel industry and right. incidentally I have worked in the same hotel. Okay. Uh, one of the things we are taught mm -hmm. uh, in our training is to always put the guest first. Put the guest first, okay. We believe that the guest has to be given utmost importance. Okay. That is the credo of this industry Okay. in the five-star okay. cater. So it is a... So sacrificing for the guest or doing whatever possible to make the guest happy is... Is what you are called. Okay. So a hotel is in the hospitality industry, which is a service industry. And in the service industry, you are taught to serve. And here they are taught to serve the guest and make them happy. And in, during this hour of crisis, we are impressed that 600 guests, sorry, 600 staff members decided to really serve the guests, so much so that they were willing to lay down their lives in order that the guest would be happy and safe. That is a probability of their level of service or commitment to service uh, that is being shared probably the, uh, this morning. And I wonder, can we not have that same quality of service and their commitment and their ideology in our churches. It will make our churches totally of a different league if we do what is being just said. So that is one possibility, a service industry, therefore it is an industry culture, uh, service industry culture, that's why uh, they, they did that. Any other reason you feel, why did the staff did not run away and stayed back? Anybody else? Yes? Yeah. Uh, it's not about uh, the loss of pastry, but it's a loss of life. So life is more important mm -hmm. because if we are living in this world, mm -hmm. you know, uh, it is good that we could save another life. Okay. So that is more important. If I could save some life through my life and others could live also, there's nothing like that for me. So what you're saying is the 600 staff members 
were filled with that philosophy that I must save other people's life. And yep. that is why they were, they were loyal to their company in order to save lives. That's my belief. Yeah? That's, your, that, that's your briefing. Do you find in your company, wherever you're working, people would be willing to lay down their life? Forget about company, would you lay down your life in the church? There was about 20 people said yes. That's I understand. I got the answer. <laughs> anyway, so that's another possibility. Any other answer? Any other answer? Why do you think their people stayed put? If they are? Okay. They will send a wrong message to society. They were, they were afraid of their, uh, their impression in society. So they wanted to keep their reputation. And for the sake of the reputation, they're willing to lay down their lives in the midst of this terrorist attack and ensure that our reputation doesn't get spoiled. And so people continue to work. Do you think that may be a possibility? That people concern their reputation more important than their life? If so, 600 people held on to their reputation rather than to their life. That's another possibility. Any other possibility? Okay, so we'll hold it on there. We're going to watch the next video clip. And in this video clip, uh, it includes few short interviews with a few of the staff members. Make a distinct note of their work ethics, especially of these two people. There is a young girl by name Malika Jagad. Watch what is her work ethic and also watch what is the work ethic of the general manager, Karambir Singh Kanga, who already appeared, the one who was a little bald-headed. And so watch this next video clip. Back in. More guests. It's an amazing story. These are some of their stories. The staff of the Taj stayed on duty throughout the siege, calming frightened guests and assisting in their rescue. Many even came back inside after leading guests out of the building. Members of the hotel's team of telephone operators, originally evacuated, voluntarily returned to their stations and stayed on all night. They became the hub of communication uh, at that point. They were the ones calling every single guest room, talking to the guests and telling them to stay in, don't step out, lock your door. As the terrorists roamed the halls, telephone operators instructed trapped guests to pull their key cards to turn off the illuminated occupied button in the hallway outside their doors. The attack started at 9.30 in the evening. Till 4 o'clock they were answering guest calls. I think that speaks a lot for a hotel under attack. Among the guests at the Taj that night were members of the global board of directors and senior management team of Unilever, who had gathered along with their spouses to honor incoming and outgoing CEOs. So we had this really elaborate seven-course meal, and that was sort of the setting, the mood, there was warmth, there was laughter, there was a perfect setting for, for a nostalgic farewell and a perfect setting for a nice welcome. And I heard what seemed to me, which is an untrained ear, like firecrackers in the hotel. We started getting these text messages and phone calls. Uh, there were some gunmen on the loose. The only logical thing to do was to close the doors and um, just stay put. Malika came to us and said, we think there's a problem. We're not sure what exactly it is, but I request all of you to be on the ground right now. The, the level of calm and composure that the staff displayed was amazing, it was absolutely amazing because they had the presence of mind to even advise us saying, couples please separate, don't stay at the same place, just be in different corners of the room. 65 lives at stake, so can't take a chance. So obviously we were in touch with security all the time and uh, had a lot of alcohol in the room, so that helped a little. This went on the whole night. We were on the floor with our hearts in our mouths, with debris falling all around us, the noises of you know firecrackers all around. And all through, the staff kept their composure, kept coming to us, saying, do you want some water, do you want something? Well, I was scared, but uh, there was something more important to be done. This went on till 4 or 5 in the morning when the room filled with smoke. So we had no choice but to find a way to escape. 
The entire corridor outside the hall was on fire. There was no way we could get out. The fire guys were outside and they were dousing the fire on the sixth floor. And we happened to see Mr. Kang downstairs as well. So he sort of ushered the fire guys to us. Uh, we sort of climbed onto the ledge and did some stuff which in today's normal day I wouldn't be able to do. But we sort of came onto the ledge, climbed down to the ladders which by then the fire brigade people had come. The staff insisted that we would go first, guests would go first. And they kept like that till all of us had come down and then they all came down. Well, in a way, because I was there, I was looking after the function, I was, in, I was responsible. I could have been the youngest in the room and I know at one point of time I was the youngest in the room, but uh, I was still doing my job. The easiest thing for our staff to do at that point in time was to drop whatever they were doing and run out of the hotel. Not one did that. Not one. I come from an army background, not myself, but my father, who was a, he retired as a general in the army. And he used, often used to say, when I was even appointed here as a general manager, he used to often tell me that you are now like the captain of, captain of the ship. And I think that's the way you think, that, that you, are the, you are the captain of the ship, and uh, if the, you have to be the last one to leave, and if it sinks, you sink with it. Several hours into the siege, general manager Kang's wife and two young sons would perish in a fire that swept through the living quarters on the hotel's sixth floor. Another tragedy would occur in the early morning hours of November 27th when a team of chefs and kitchen staff began to evacuate guests. At some point, our kitchen brigade uh, decided that it looked like a lull in the thing and they could be taken out from the back of the kitchen through the fire exit to the back road and our chefs had formed a human chain to escort people in the darkness down those stairs and as hundreds of them were being evacuated somehow two of those terrorists got to know that this was happening and the terrorists arrived there and saw these uh, chefs lined up herding people away and there was mayhem they cut loose and that's where we lost uh, we lost our biggest numbers there uh, we had five or six of our chefs gunned down, but they took the bullets. Said that they risked their lives in just making sure the guests were safe. I don't think we would have made it out of the hotel without the the support, the assurance, the constant, uh, you know, service orientation that the staff provided, without doubt. Which is why we will continue to be so grateful to them. I can't explain it. There were no manuals, there were no uh, instructions for what should be done under the circumstances. And so what seems to have happened is individuals, from the waiters to the managers of the restaurants, all had this uh, goal of uh, let's get the guests to safety. Okay, so what do you think was the work ethic of Mr. Karambir Singh Khan? the general manager of that hotel? What did he say? He said his father was a general, a retired general, and he said to him, because you are the general manager, you are like the captain of the ship. So what does that mean? You st you're responsible and you stay. A captain is the last person to leave the ship if it is sinking. And so he was, as it were, the last person to leave. And in the process, he lost his wife and two kids. And what was the work ethic of Malika Jagat? What did she say? I was doing my job. What else she said? I was responsible. She was acting responsibly. She was only 24. She was a young staff member and here was a senior general manager. Right from the least to the greatest, all of them had this philosophy of being responsible. Least to the great. Everyone Leadership was there from the top, but leadership exercised from below as well in the whole process. Now we're going to watch the third clip, but before we do that, a couple of questions. What do you think is the human resource policy of the Taj? How do they, you know, so we want to see, um, what do you think is the Taj's recruitment policy? In your opinion, what type of people do they recruit? So what do you think is... Taj's recruitment policy, in your opinion, what type of people do they recruit? Committed. committed people. All right. Now, we want to take committed people. Imagine you are the HR manager 
all right, you are interviewing the fresh candidates that come, how are you going to check their commitment? I can check whether they're graduates, postgraduates. I can check whether they are got some certificates. But how, what certificate will you use for commitment? Give them a, a kind of a simulated case scenario. Based on the case scenario, you see whether they show commitment or not. So, during the time of the interview, you find out by asking question, what would you do in this scenario? So, that's the possibility. Anything else? Yes, over there again. They, they have a service culture and that service culture that they produce, what you're saying therefore is the service culture is such that within a short time of joining, the DNA of this kind of DNA, this kind of commitment, right from the top to the bottom permeates. If that is so, that service culture is wonderful. If we can import that service culture into our churches, our churches will be transformed. If everybody is absolutely service-oriented, it will be a fantastic church, isn't it? I think I would like to import it in my church back home. That could be, I would like to call the HR manager of uh, Taj and say, please train my church people. I thought we Bible, everything is there, they need to learn from us, but this time it looks like we've got to learn from the world, something like that. What else? What do you think is the recruitment? How do they recruit people? Any idea? Suggestions? You have been recruited somewhere, so you know how you were recruited. What do you think Taj may be doing same or different? How can you recruit that 600 of 600 people are all committed, willing to lay down their lives? How do you, how do you recruit them? They pick them up from the most recognized hotel management schools. So I presume in hotel management schools, commitment is a, one of the important subjects, probably. Probably, all right? I will not ask if anybody has been in uh, hotel management school and did you learn commitment in that place, but you have to imagine probably one of the best schools must be teaching commitment. So that's the possibility. Any other suggestion? By training. So that's my next question. Uh, and that is, in your opinion, what kind of training must be involved? Have I jumped it? Okay, I just went. Sorry, 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 sorry. Sorry, I've gone too fast. Recruitment policy. What kind of training must be involved at the Taj? What kind of training must be involved at the Taj? So you are suggesting is they must be having some kind of specific training, right? So whatever the training is, we need to import it so that we can produce all the church members are willing to lay down their lives. Fantastic. I like to be pastor of a church where everyone is willing to lay down their lives. If you are in charge of a company, how do you like all your employees willing to lay down their lives for your company? I would love that. So whoever is their HR manager, I like to import that manager and ask him to train our church people up hmm? or whatever organization we run. So that is a possibility. Any other... Any other suggestion on how do you think they must be doing the training? <laughs> psychological training, all right. So a lot of simulated cases by which you do some psychological training. And through that psychological training, you can impart something by which qualities like commitment, sacrifice, calmness under st stress, all these are produced. That is a fabulous training if they have one. But did you remember... What Mr. Tata, the, the owner of the Taj said, we have no training manuals. You saw that video clip? At the end he said, we have no training manuals. We have no instruction what to do in this scenario. It seems like each one just did what they felt right, that was to keep their staff safe. From the waiters down to the top managers, all had this inclination to do it. He said, we have no training manuals and we had no instructions what to do under this mission. So we may imagine they have some training, but he himself says there is none. That's an amazing thing. And the third question is, uh, how do you think they motivate their staff? How do you think they motivate their staff? What motivates you in your company? Annual appraisal? 
carrot promotion increments christmas bonus or or next week diwali bonus what do you think how do you think they motivate their staff no staff performs without motivation they must be motivated only then they'll do this so what do you think must be their motivation policy loyalty so you need to find out if a staff member is showing loyalty then you motivate him so what is if you find somebody loyal what what will you do how will you motivate him or her making him you, you make that person feel happy he should feel he should feel rich and satisfied himself in his so he should feel job. he should feel rich that means some increment promotion might be given no no uh. that is that is outside the job i am talking of intrinsic something intrinsic thing yeah if that, if suppose somebody uh, if there is no alignment between a job and the person's caliber then he won't be motivated okay so you find a perfect job alignment by which he finds fulfillment an internal fulfillment and, and that would be the so you help person find exactly where they fit in yes. and if they fit in where they like then they really feel fulfilled and blossom there and and there should be a, 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 an upward vision and some imparting of some upward vision so they people staff according to you are highly motivated and are very clear bottom to the vision of whatever the tata vision is of the taj hotel all right so it's amazing 600 people have been envisioned according to a brother that and as a result of which they are all geared everybody is absolutely clear it looks like that appreciation so and 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 you think appreciation is instant or at the end of the year or on the spot acknowledge as quickly as you can okay as soon as you discover something has been and done well uh, appreciate yes giving giving them the role which they enjoy doing that okay giving them the role that they enjoy and, and also giving them the authority or to okay take. a role that they enjoy and uh, uh, accompanying with the authority Three, for yes, that role right. okay very good all right yes one more person here in the front okay okay there's one in the back one minute one in the back and then you is coming okay. to you microphone will come okay. to you yes okay uh, with regard to motivation it's always like uh, what's in it for me you tell anyone do this do that they'll say why should i do it but you make them realize what's in it for them they will be motivated to do what you ask them to do so what do you think what is in for them when they are willing to die for somebody else what is in for them in in the, in the die situation it's it's as pure uh, you know their uh, their own instincts to uh, help uh, people they, I, the way they brought up the way they are brought up yeah that that's something that internal value it's not taught in a management companies to like laid out as this a military service so it is something instinctively coming from inside yeah but wouldn't it be amazing i mean i'm just asking you how many of us will be willing to die for some cause like this only the sure. military service they are taught to lay down so, their life excellent so military they are taught to lay down their lives but this staff has behaved like a military they have been programmed as it were to lay down their life so that's a very very amazing thing to be able to train if they have been able to train then i think we should import that and see how we can train our people yes yeah i believe it's recognition people do things for recognition recognition so they thought that if they are if they do something and they are recognized later on they will do that for that whole thing okay this brother has been raising his hand for some time yeah is not possible that all 600 having the same thought at the same mind, same time mm -hmm. and that also in fractions of seconds okay when they could have taken a decision to get out of the hall right it was purely god motivated against the 10th group of devils so it was it god was purely god motivated who just copy pasted into each one's mind okay they did it and they were blessed with the courage wisdom and the strength to carry that out so you think it is god motivated and therefore courage wisdom strength arose at that point of time for them because to do it because it says to proclaim the liberty of captives and the freedom of prisoners so jesus is always there to help them so you presume they attended this church and saw this 
I'm just It was Jesus who did it Jesus can do it Okay so somehow in this company which doesn't have necessarily Christian believers but there was a motivation god motivation some god factor some supernatural divine intervention which stirred about that's what is being said all right it is a survival strategy but i think survival would to run out no here they are not survival they are putting themselves in line of fire that's what they are all saying a sense of uh, is is there is the tata culture tata culture you you like to work for a company like tata where they have some uh, values like that okay um i think that uh, care and concern from the top level it cascades down down the, the line so okay so care I and concern i think they learn from their seniors okay. so whatever care and concern that they the seniors shows to the junior automatically okay. they show to their guests and everyone else okay so care and concern yeah. okay is so one possibility uh, yes or oh, there are two one is here one is here okay unity in the face of a common enemy unity in the face of a common enemy all right so something has played up at that point of time um, from the video you can uh, you know they said that they worked as a team so what motivated them at that point of time is when they saw their colleagues giving their life for the guests so when they were together they were motivated so in your assumption if you see your colleagues being killed that motivates you to me also you, you feel it might motivate okay possibility is there if you see your colleague sacrificing you feel stirred up to go and sacrifice or it might also feel ki <laughs> this is dangerous let's get out of it that also is possibility but here in this case all 600 have shown this quality which is outstanding yes sorry responsibility responsible oh, people all acted responsibly all right now that is amazing because i don't think in every company culture everyone acts responsibly everyone does what they think is right in their own eyes it depends on the situation if there is a terrorist attack in my company people will transform Uh, if there is a if there was a terrorist attack in my company you people might find would it probably act differently than they would if there was just another town hall meeting so it is a terrorist at they have been that became a trigger action for them to suddenly develop this quality of being responsible okay possibility over here uh this is a practical example of servant leadership now if they were driven if their leadership was driven by designation and positions they would have fled for the doors but if it's been driven by influence that is what's channeled down so in this company tata company they may have a strong indoctrination of a servant industry and that is what happened okay i'll take the last one and then we'll watch the next clip yeah i believe it's the trust on their management trust on the management the last thought they trusted their management yes All the right. last thought anyone uh, before dying is what will happen if i die next to my family so they trust their management can take care of their family so okay. they have a better choice now they can die for the people okay they are sure the management will look after their family so it doesn't matter if i have to die i will die so that's a possibility now we have heard many options let's look at the uh, thing and see what is next all right so here we are can you show the next clipping all had this uh, goal of uh, let's get the guests to safety to reiterate 500 registered guests 600 guests in restaurants and banquets like that unilever boar event that you just heard about 600 employees so that's 1700 people that night of those 1700 over 1600 escaped safely only 34 people died of those 34 fully half were staff members of the hotel so when we were working on this case study i asked senior management how this happened why this happened what explains the behavior of their staff and these are young people malika jaga the banquet manager for the unilever event whom you saw speaking 24 years old 
What explains it? And you heard, they can't explain it. Senior management, Mr. Ratan Tata, head of the Tata group of companies, they own the Taj Hotels, he couldn't explain it. So I teach this at Harvard. I, come, I bring this case study back and I teach this at the Harvard Business School as a case study of leadership from below. You know, we teach usually about leadership as being something from the top that filters down. This is, this is leadership from below. It's just amazing. And I ask my students, how do you explain it? And they have plausible explanations for the behavior of the employees. Some of them say, well, it must be the culture, the national culture of India. You know, there must be something in the value system there that explains it. And in fact, there is. It turns out that there is a, a, a value or a belief that says a guest is to be treated like God. When a guest enters your home, treat her or him like God. Atiti Devo Bhava in Sanskrit. Other students say, no, 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 it's not national culture, it's corporate culture. If the Taj Hotels is owned by this family, the Tata group, they have a long history in India of very benevolent human resource policies, uh, a, a family of, um, of integrity uh, in, in their business dealings. It's the, national, it's the uh, corporate culture. And others say, no, it's not that. This happened at a hotel. It's the industry culture. It's hospitality. Employees are trained to serve customers. So that's what's going on. All of these are very plausible. So along with another colleague, I decided to go back into the Taj Hotel company records to try to understand their human resource policy. Who were these people? Who, who were these staff? Where did they find them? How did they recruit them? How did they motivate them? How did they train them? And I learned lots of really, really intriguing things. Let me share, in the interest of time, just three of them with you. First about recruiting. You know, they recruit their first line, their frontline employees from high schools, not from the major cities, not from Bombay or Delhi or Calcutta or Madras. They recruit them from small towns, Haldia, Chandigarh, Nashik, Tiruchirapalli, small towns. And they recruit students, graduating students, for attitude, not grades. They ask their headmasters or their teachers, who are the students that you teach who have the most respect for older people, for their parents, for the teachers? They're not looking for the people, the students who do the best in grades, but rather for attitude. Then training. This is fascinating. You know, you've heard of brand ambassadors. Lots of companies, many organizations perhaps uh, you, that you represent, train their frontline staff to be ambassadors for the brand, for the company. You know what they do at the Taj Hotels? They train their frontline employees to be ambassadors for the customer, for the guest. It's very different. It's counterintuitive. They call them guest ambassadors. They believe frontline employees should be the voice of the client, of the customer, of the guest, to the company. And third, and perhaps most importantly, their motivation system, their reward system, incentives, is not just monetary. They, they pay about average, a little above average in that hotel sector in, in India. But they reward people with recognition, personal recognition. So when an employee does something that delights customers and the guest writes a note, within 48 hours that employee is recognized. 48 hours. They don't have to wait for a Diwali or a Christmas bonus. It happens within 48 hours. Amazing. In fact, they won the International Hermes Award for an innovation in human resource management for, for this STARS program. So let me, let me close by asking you to, to think a little bit about the lessons that you take away from this, from this company far away on the other side of the world, the things that we can learn here in America that we can bring home, that we can scale to American businesses, American organizations. Things like the way customers are treated, building a customer-centric, guest-centric corporate culture, organizational culture, rethinking the relationship, the contract between employer and employee. And finally, let me close by saying this is an amazing inspirational story that something that was supposed to be a symbol of terrorism is today a beacon 
of hope. Thank you. Amen. Isn't it amazing what we hear as being spoken about? He's saying that the people are recruited for their attitude, for their character. See, in the world outside, people promote. If you watch television and if you watch their uh, movies, they show flamboyant leaders, live life king style. And therefore, they promote external factors. Maybe qualification, maybe position, maybe charisma, flair, confidence, bold and beautiful, rich and powerful, with people with authority, money, power, and so on and so forth. That is what impresses people in the world outside. But Jesus, on the other hand, is the opposite. He believes in an intrinsic quality that is inside us. These intrinsic quality form our foundation that when we are hit with the storm, wall will emerge out, will be the intrinsic qualities. These people who are recruited, without them being aware, without them being aware, they have recruited them for attitude, for character, for their foundations. And it is these foundations has emerged and become a benefit for the Taj group of companies. What has molded them from childhood into those beautiful values, and therefore these values give the right kind of response. And when the triple attacks come, severe attack comes, like a terrorist attack, then it manifests. The other thing is that when you have intrinsic qualities, you will emerge like a leader in any and every situation. That Unilever has an international board of directors. They had an outgoing CEO and incoming CEO. That means CEOs, directors, board of directors, presidents and vice presidents, the top-notch people were there. And the person in charge of that particular function was this 24-year-old Malika Jagat. And she said to them, everybody on the floor and all the board of directors and presidents and vice president went on the floor husband wife separate all became separate the lady led out of her intrinsic abilities how calm composure service care are you okay can i help you and it is this aspect which motivated she didn't have authority she had that ability of from inside that came out and i think no matter what your situation where you are this will emerge during the times of crisis so leadership is not because you are sitting on a certain chair leadership is because what is inside of us and from below will arise the leadership that will come up and we need to ensure that we bring forth that leadership he says about customer care that the frontline reception staff is the spokespeople the brand ambassadors for the guest not ambassadors for their company but ambassadors for the guest i have an account in access bank and periodically they send me some emails and there there is this uh, actress dipika who is now a brand ambassador for access i do not know whether she has an account in access at all that is another issue altogether but they are brand ambassadors there are many brand ambassadors who many say many things but they are least connected to what they are selling they don't buy whatever they are selling and so that's how it is but here is here is a company which is keen to know what their customers feel i think generally speaking if you think of any club you, if you become a member of a, some special club you know some uh, golf club or, or some such big club then you have to pay a huge lump sum worth lakhs of rupees then you're entitled to all the membership benefits. You can go to the swimming pool and then you can go to the restaurants and eat food at a certain concessional rate and you can use their grounds for maybe your wedding or some party and so on and so forth. The clubs are catered to you if you are a member. And if you're not a member, sorry, you're not allowed inside. But, but church is the only organization which exists for its non-members. It is always looking out for those, reaching out to them, showing them the love of Christ. It is always concerned for them. In other words, we are not so-called promoting ourselves. We are saying, can we help? Can we serve? Can we heal? Can we pray? Can we come and do some acts of kindness to you? And that is Jesus' culture as he has taught us. That's what is being done in this particular Taj Hotel. But it should be our culture because we have a boss, Jesus, who permeates this kind of value system in it. He is the one who promotes character. He is the one who promotes other people. He said, I pray for not only these sheep, but I pray for those who will be coming later on. I pray for other sheep. 
He was very successful in one town. And uh, disciples said, Hey, you are praying here in the morning. Look, there are many people come. Let's go down. He said, No, I just prayed to the father. Father said, We have to go to the other towns. Other towns? We are successful here. It's just success is coming here. Let's continue with success. He said, No, I got orders to go to the other towns. My father's heart is for the other towns. Daddy, I will bless Abraham. You will, whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And through you, all the families on the earth will be blessed. I just quoted for you Genesis 12, 1 to 3. In other words, the idea of blessing Abraham was to bless all the families of the earth. Joseph, you know, rose to prominence and that he became the prime minister of, uh, of Egypt. And he said, he told his brother, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. What is the good? That he becomes a prime minister? No, God meant it for good for the saving of the nations. He never thought about his position. He always thought about saving the nations. Always the vision of throughout the scriptures is for others, is for helping others. Customer orientation, other people orientation. This is biblical. This is absolutely, if you squeeze the Bible, you'll get character out of it and you'll get integrity, you'll get courage, you'll get sacrifice and so on and so forth. And customer centricness will come out if we uh, cut the Bible whichever direction we have. And who else is the best model of laying down his life and sacrifice for others but our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who is modeled. So much so that out of his 12 followers, the first range of followers, 10 of them laid down their lives. They were martyred. I said to you, I would love to have a church where everybody is willing to lay down their life. But the truth is, first you have to lay down your life, then they will lay down their life. I cannot have anyone laying down their life unless I am willing to lay down my life. Our Lord said, would you be, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. But he first took his cross and then everybody was willing to do that. If such is the CEO of our organization, wonderful, we would be willing to lay down our life. Let's look at this Bible verse as we close. It says here, Jesus is manifesto about his kingdom. Matthew 5, 3 to 12, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who are merciful, for they will be shown merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemaker, for they will be called children of God. In other words, mercy, purity of heart, hunger for righteousness, mourning for others, sharing in other people's sorrows, and simplicity, humility, poverty in spirit, they will be uh, what they are all called over here. Jesus' manifesto is all about your attitude, your character, your inside stuff. These are put into our foundation. Then in the times of crisis, it will completely emerge. Some years ago, there was a flood in Bombay, very serious flood. Annually, we receive about 80 inches of rain for during the four months. 40 inches of rain fell in one day, four hours. It flooded. Bombay is at sea level. So when there's a high tide, water doesn't go out. And it rained so much that everything got flooded. All the streets got blocked with the vehicles, miles of them long. Trains got stuck up. Water was inside the seats in the train, right up to their knees. And there was mayhem. People had to walk for hours together to reach their home. Some people stayed with their friends. A lot of loss of life and death. Police could not help because all the roads were blocked. They only had jeeps. They did not have boats. Fire brigade could not help because they have fire engines. They didn't have helicopter to rescue people. Government could not do anything. Just kept having meetings after meetings in their parliament, cabinet, whatever they had. Nobody helped. Ordinary people helped. You know, the water level went so up that people had to climb up above their sofa onto the tables and sit on it. But the water level went up. Then they struggled and sat on the top of cupboards. But water level went up. Now what to do? At such time, ordinary people those who knew swimming decided to swim under the doors and rescue people from the top of the cupboards and bring them out. One particular man, he rescued 42 people in the Air India colony. But when he went to rescue the 43rd, he died. There were people stranded in the cars for hours together. And then one man standing on a colony in his balcony looked at the people and he thought, I'm sure if they're sitting so long, they may want to use the bathroom. So he signaled to them and some people responded and so he, he welcomed them. The people came out and used his bathroom 
uh, and many of them lined up and used it. Then he realized they may need to drink water and they may not have any water for such long hours. So they collected all the empty water bottles from the colony, filled it up with clean water and went to every car and gave the water. The colony people were so inspired by his example, they said, what about food? Because now it is several hours, eight hours they stand it. So the colony people decided to put food together. Everyone cooked something, made parcels, went for car by car and gave everybody. This happened to the people in the car, but there were other people walking on the streets. And guess what? Ordinary slum dwellers, they prepared puri bhaji, stood on the side of the road, wrapped it and said, you're going home, where? 10 kilometers. Here, take this, take this, take this. And they freely gave Nobody, no minister was telling anything to anybody. No policeman was telling anything to anybody. It all arose out of there, as you have said, humanitarian situation. Common enemy, then something inside you rises. It is this thing that needs to arise primarily so in every Christian's heart. If he has a leader like Jesus, if he has such followers in the initial years, then it should motivate us. We don't have to wait for eight hours to signal to anybody. We should be doing in the eight minutes as it were. We should be able to motivate ourselves to do things and rise up to every situation wherever we are in the right way. But we need to ensure that when we listen to God's word, we allow it to change our hearts completely. Foundations are laid. Because Jesus says, he who listens to the words of mine and puts them into practice, their foundations are strong. When the storms come, the intrinsic values will emerge out clearly. But if you only listen, and then forget in the next one hour, then we are in great trouble. He said there is a faulty foundation. In crisis, we will give out the wrong response. Praise God, the Taj people have done it accidentally, but we can do it intentionally because we are programmed by a Lord who has intentionally programmed us by his textbook, by his manual, by which we can be uh, programmed. Not only that, he has led the way by laying down his life. We are the best model we have. It, we don't need another instruction manual. We have the best training manual. With that, our lives will be completely be transformed. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. As I'm going to pray, if you think in your heart that yes, I don't think my heart is fully formed to give out these kind of responses. I'm still selfish. I'm still a consumer. I still exist for myself. I sometimes do good works, but many times I'm only careful to look after myself, number one. But this morning, if it is in your heart, Lord, change me inside out. Make me a brand new person. Lay a solid foundation. Then I'm going to pray a prayer for all of us. And if that is your prayer, in your heart of heart, for every line, if it is in agreement with yours, say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. Father, we all come before you aware that many times we act selfishly. We act, we act in a self-centered way. We self-preserve ourselves and we want to protect ourselves from every calamity. We don't bother about others. We only bother about ourselves. Lord, we live in a consumer society and we are only becoming consumers, but we are not producers. So, Father, we acknowledge these weaknesses in us and we repent of these negative qualities. We ask you, Lord, that you forgive us. Not only forgive us, but cleanse us inside out and make us brand new. And from this day onwards, Lord, I pray that these intrinsic qualities of courage, sacrifice, integrity, mercy, mourning for others, kindness, gentleness, meekness, and such qualities will be deeply embedded in our heart. We pray that every time we listen to your word or read your word, we will so strongly embrace it until it changes us inside out. That on the inside, we will completely be reshaped. So that Lord, whenever we face crisis, what is out of the abundance of our heart will come out. So bless us, so be with us and change us. And Lord, we cannot do any of these things unless the Holy Spirit helps us. So we ask you for the help of the Holy Spirit to write these lessons down on the tablets of our heart. We need your energy. We need your strength. Help us to keep the cross of Jesus and the person of Jesus always before us. It is only by him and through him that we will be achieved, able to achieve what we want to achieve. So be with us. This we pray in your precious name. Amen. God bless.
thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com.